The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. It's that time on a Sunday morning here on Riviera Radio. We talk to Rob Kay. How are you doing, Rob? Very well. How are you yourself? I'm very well indeed. Good. Well, last week, the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, delivered his autumn statement. As we mentioned last week, a lot of the content impacts on our listeners, so we need to understand what was announced. But first, what news, financial or other, caught your eye this past week? Well, Howard, uh, regular listeners will remember a couple of weeks ago, I think, I explained how President Macron would use Article 49.3 to push through his 2023 budget by decree, effectively ignoring the lawmakers. Macron lost his majority in June's legislative elections. His centrist alliance hold just 251 seats in the National Assembly, well short of the 289 threshold needed to pass laws. So, having used Article 49.3 last week, They didn't waste any time. On Monday, the French government began the process of evolving the social security system. Macron's pension goal is to increase the state retirement age from 62 to 65 by 2031. But on Monday, the government also announced that from next year, job seekers will see the amount of time they can claim benefits for cut by 25% as part of a reform designed to help fill vacant positions. Under the current rules, Anyone under the age of 53 can claim a maximum two years of compensation after losing their job, while the over 55s are eligible for three years. By reducing the time by a quarter from February 2023, the government hopes 100 to 150,000 people will return to the labour market earlier than expected. Now, staying in France, according to the official index, the cost of living has increased or risen by 6.2% over the past year which seems strangely out of step with its neighbours. Prices have risen by 11.1% in the UK, 10.9% in Germany, 12% in Belgium, and across the European Union, inflation averages around 8.5%. France's official inflation figure is the highest, though, since 1985. But is that figure really true? The truth, I suppose, depends on how you measure inflation and how it's counted and what is counted. According to a recent survey by Le Monde, A typical supermarket basket, which contains France's 38 most used household items, cost 16.5% more this year than it did 12 months ago. We also shouldn't forget, over the past 12 months, the French government has spent €150 billion, 5% of its GDP, keeping the cost of electricity, gas, petrol and diesel down, which could go a long way towards explaining why France's official inflation figure is so much lower than its neighbours. While I'm on the subject of inflation, there was some surprising news from across the pond this week when it was announced the US annual inflation rate had slowed for the fourth month in a row, down from 8.2% in September to 7.7% in October, the lowest rate since January and slightly below the forecasted rate of 8%. Following on from the reverse bottom which the S&P 500 experienced on the 13th of October, Investment analysts are sending a lot more positive about the US investment outlook for next year. On the back of an inflation report published on the 13th of October, the S&P 500 opened the day by plunging 2.4%. But then, without any external input, it turned and finished the same day up 2.6% from the day's starting point. That's what investment technicians call a reverse bottom. It's a scary thought, Howard, but next Sunday we'll be into December. 
So that's probably a good moment to look over our shoulder and consider the investment year of 2022. How we have our investments arranged, how we should approach 23, and maybe consider what has happened globally since the S&P's reverse bottom. Reverse bottom makes me thinking of baking cakes, but never mind. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, recently there was a mini-budget, and then there was an autumn statement. Why? Um, excuse the blunt answer, but the simple answer probably is because of a series of political car crashes. Now, over the years, the expression, a week in politics is a long time, has been used by various politicians. Joseph Chamberlain and Harold Wilson are probably the most famous, but British politics over the past six months, I have to say, has looked more like a comedy sitcom. Following Boris's demise at the start of summer, Liz Truss was finally elected Conservative leader and therefore the British Prime Minister on the 5th of September, after a summer of toing and froing. She then appointed Kwasi Kwarteng as her Chancellor of the Exchequer and he stood up in the Houses of Parliament on the 23rd of September and delivered his mini-budget, which was actually titled The Growth Plan. After delivering his budget, Kwarteng had barely sat down before all hell let loose, the pound hit parity with the US dollar, borrowing costs jumped through the roof, which then meant the Bank of England had to step in to support the markets. His mini-budget was described in many quarters as the most irresponsible budget ever. A few days later, while on an official trip to the US, he was summoned back to London, where he was summary immediately sacked by his friend and boss, the Prime Minister, Liz Trust. Unfortunately for Trust, Kwarteng Sakin did not save her skin and on the 24th of October she had to fall on her sword after just 50 days in office giving her the dubious honour of being the shortest serving UK Prime Minister ever. After sacking Kwarteng, Truss appointed Jeremy Hunt, a Conservative stalwart, as Kwarteng's successor. Hunt then survived Truss and he was then reappointed when Rishi Sunak took over the top job. Thankfully without all the shenanigans we saw over the summer. With a backdrop of the highest inflation for around 40 years, massive pressure on the government finances and markets being spooked by Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget, last week's autumn statement was always likely to be a relatively cautious and quite sombre affair. There were plenty of tax rises warning, weren't they? They were trailed, if you'd like to say. But did that play out and how would it impact income? Well, Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement... Uh, <laughs> as you say, proposed a series of tax increases and spending cuts, which we are told will fill a £55 billion hole. That's a very big number, and it also sounds like a very big hole to fill. So I suppose it's logical the medicine to remedy the problem is bound to have a fundamental impact on businesses, and without doubt the proposals will have an impact on income and therefore take on pay. The UK personal tax allowance, this is the amount you can earn before you pay UK income tax, will now be frozen at its current level of £12,570 until at least April 2028. I think the important word to remember there is at least. Although not increasing thresholds has been uh, subtly used in one form or another for years, we shouldn't forget it was Hunt's boss, Rishi Sunak, who thrust it into the limelight when he was the Chancellor and he announced his spring 2021 budget. Having frozen the personal allowance, it's then no surprise the higher rate threshold was also frozen at its current level until again 2028. But maybe the big surprise from an income point of view was probably the threshold for paying the additional rate of 45% will reduce from £150,000 
down to £125,000 from the start of the new 2023 tax year. The government said, taken together, these changes will generate a massive £94 billion a year in additional tax revenue by 2028. Were investments, capital gains and dividends affected? Um, yeah, I mean, in advance of the budget, it was widely rumoured CGT would be reformed and rates could be brought into line with income tax, but that failed to materialise. However, what Hunt did announce was two significant cuts to CGT, capital gains tax. From April 2023, the tax-exempt amount will be slashed from its current level of £12,300 to just £6,000. Then, from April 2023, 12 months later, it will be reduced again to £3,000. Now, this could, re- could be really, really significant from a f- for a French resident who sells a UK property, maybe because of other freezes, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about shortly. But when you sell a UK property, it will now be much easier to be liable to the 28% CGT rate rather than 20%. Due to the tax treaty, France gives you a tax credit for the tax that was due that would be due in France. But you don't get a refund if the tax you've paid in the UK is more than the tax liability in France. So in this new world, you could easily pay 28% CGT in the UK rather than 19% in France. And we shouldn't forget... As French residents, we're still liable to French social charges when we sell a UK property. So the bill can be easily 28% UK CGT plus 17.2% social charge. The UK Treasury estimates that when CGT allowance has been reduced to 3000 a year in 2025, those changes will generate additional revenue of over £1.2 billion a year. The UK dividend allowance was originally introduced in April 2016 and initially £5,000 was exempt from tax. In April 2018, the original amount was cut just down to £2,000. In the last, uh, in the autumn statement, Hunt has now confirmed that her cut process and from April next year, it will be cut again from 2000 to 1000 then halved again from 2024 down to just £500. Now, this change shouldn't impact French residents because the allowance is purely a UK matter. However, quite a few French residents still have their UK investment portfolios managed by UK advisors, and they use CGT thresholds and dividend allowances to manage their client's portfolio. These changes will mean UK advisors will have to change the way they manage their client's portfolios over the next couple of years. The cutting dividend allowance and the CG thresholds is really a double whammy for UK investors, but the CGT changes could easily impact French residents. For many small investors, the increase in tax on dividends and capital gains tax is going to be significant. What these changes highlight is it's never been more important to hold our investment assets in tax structures that protect us and them from tax. What about property and inheritances? Did they announce changes that will affect them? Yeah, I'm- Hunt announced that he was extending the freeze to the majority of personal tax thresholds until the 2028 tax year. This included both the standard IHT nil rate band, which is £325,000, and the residence nil rate band, which is £175,000. The IHT nil rate band has been frozen at £325,000 since 2009, 
And if it had risen in line with the inflation, by 2028, it should be over half a million pounds. After keeping the threshold at the same level for nearly two decades, it's estimated it will generate increase an increase in IHT receipts from 6.1 billion this year to 7.8 billion in the 2027 sorry 2027-28 tax year. This stealth tax increase will mean more people will be caught by the IHT trap. And we shouldn't forget these changes could affect us if we have UK situated assets because even if you're a, a French or at that matter a monogas resident if you have UK assets a house bank account or UK investments when you die those UK situated assets are liable to UK inheritance tax does freezing allowances really work from a tax perspective <laughs> yeah, as stealth tax uh, strategies go, Howard, freezing thresholds and reducing allowances is probably the piece de resistance. It creates a perfect storm. The, the, the tax money's not raiding your pocket now. It's just taking more off you in the future, but actually before it lands in your pocket. Freezing limits will drag millions of more people into paying income tax for the first time or paying higher rates of tax than they previously did when they were basic rate taxpayers. More than half a million people will start paying the additional rate of tax, which is forty-five percent. On top of this hidden, um, on top of this hidden in the in the in the plethora of measures that that Hunt Avert revealed on the seventeenth of November, was also an additional funding and legislation to fight tax avoidance. His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. I think that's the first time I had to say His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, will, will receive an additional £79 million over the next five years for additional staff to tackle tax fraud and address tax-compliant risks. This additional tax crackdown um, on avoidance and tax evasion is estimated and expected to generate the revenue another £1.7 billion over just the next six years. Do you think these changes will be temporary? Good question, Howard. Um, all I can say is on the 9th of January, back in 1799, William Pitt the Younger, the then British Prime Minister, introduced a temporary tax to help cover the cost of Britain's war. With guess who? Yep, you guessed it, France, which at that point had raged on for six years. What was, what was this direct tax that Pitt introduced called? It was called income tax, and that temporary tax has been around ever since. My point is, temporary tax have a habit of hanging around and becoming permanent. And I should add, Britain hasn't got exclusivity or, or te on temporary taxes or, or threshold freezes. France is well versed in this art. The cynic in me does think they could be a short-term measure, though. And they could be used to help Sunak's re-election campaign in January 2025. That is, if, Sashi, if, if Rishi Sunak lasts that long. Hopefully by then, the war in Ukraine will have come to an end, and even if it hasn't, the world will have mastered how to deal with the consequences. If that is the case, inflation should be under control. Markets will hopefully have come back, and Hunt's draconian measures could be eased, like Father Christmas giving presents to everyone and hoping everyone forgets two Christmases with no presents under the tree. Well, ahead of the budget, the triple lock was back in the news again. Were pensions mentioned? Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the positives, I suppose, in the budget um, that on the other side raided millions of pockets. The Chancellor actually confirmed the triple lock abandoned for this year will be reinstated next year. He confirmed that the state pension triple lock will be honoured 
and UK STEM pensions will therefore increase in line with inflation, which means a 10.1% increase. The single tier state pension will rise to approximately £10,600 a year, which is about £204 a week. The maximum basic state pension, which is payable to those who reach state pension age before April 2016, will rise to approximately £8,100 a year, which equates to about £156 a week. The cost of the triple lot is estimated to be about £9 billion a year, and the government has also confirmed it will publish a review of state pension age early in 2023. Well, there seems to have been a lot of substantial changes. Will they work? And do you expect inflation to remain high next year? Um, the, the Bank of England recently revised its inf- inflation forecast and predicted inflation will peak at around 13.3% this quarter. They also expect inflation to persist for longer than they previously forecasted, still possibly as high as 9.5% well into the second half of next year. On a positive front, they then expect it to tail off and return to its 2% target by late 2024. Obviously, the key control mechanism will be interest rates, which are expected to continue rising, maybe even reaching 3% by the third quarter of 2023. I'm sorry to say this, but those listeners who are uh, who are of my age or older will probably think that that is still fairly low by historical standards. I know I'll sound like Victor Meldrew, but I remember paying over 15% in the early 90s. Over the past 10 years, if not 20, we've seen threshold freezes and allowance freezes impact our wealth. These types of changes, even if they're temporary, do generate additional revenue, especially if you don't manage your financial affairs or you have a financial plan and don't regularly review your arrangements. You can easily get caught out when changes like those we've described today are actually rolled out. The freezes are current, but we might still be able to do something about them. Most of the allowance reductions kick in from April next year. Yes, that's four months away. But if you need to re-engineer your arrangements, you will need that period to actually be able to make the changes. So if you live in France or you're thinking of living in France and you want to discuss your strategic financial planning arrangements or how these changes will impact you, have a conversation with Blevins Franks. Remember, our initial meeting is complimentary because until we understand if we can help you, we don't start charging. Don't waste another minute. These changes could seriously hit your pocket. So give us a call, speak to one of our local partners and see if we can help. The telephone number for our office in Valbonne is 0493001780. That's 0493001780. Or if our Monaco office is more convenient for you, you can arrange a call or a meeting with one of our Monaco-based partners by telephoning Monaco 9777574. That's 97775574. And as we say every week, Howard, anyone can contact us or find out what's going on at Blevins Franks via the website, which is www.blevinsfranks.com. Always a pleasure, Rob. Thank you very much. We'll talk again next Sunday. Look forward to it, Howard. Have a great week. The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or riviera at blevinsfranks.com. Planning on moving to France? Already living here? Make sure you get the correct tax and financial advice. The French tax regime provides opportunities for tax-efficient investing, but there are many pitfalls. 
using the wrong arrangements could have major tax and succession consequences. Blevins Franks has in-depth knowledge of the local tax system and can help structure your assets to get the best out of living in France. Contact Blevins Franks today on 0493 001780 or visit blevinsfranks.com.